It's good to have you join us on our podcast. Hope you are well this day. Before we get into the recording from this last Sunday, we'll just do a, a brief uh, update and what's going on in the life of this church. Of course, the denomination that we're a part of, the United Methodist Church, is going through a time of um, lots of disaffiliations. And this church took a disaffiliation vote a few Sundays ago and um, agreed. There's a, a majority, there was one vote to stay, but the vast majority wanted to go. So um, we are currently praying and thinking about what other denominations that are Wesleyan that might be a good fit for us. We're also doing a lot of work to um, give the Oklahoma Annual Conference what they want in order for us to disaffiliate. Um, and uh, there's a lot of paperwork, but there's also a lot of money. And so we've started a new line item on our budget. And if you agree that um, this church leaving the United Methodist Church was a, a good move that needed to happen, just wanted to welcome you to pray and uh, can, pray about and consider making a special gift to the church so that this isn't something that uh, significantly impedes our mission and ministry here in Nowata. Just pray about it. Um, this podcast today is is proclamation of the word from worship on Sunday. We've of course rejoined the Revised Common Lectionary, which I hold to better than most, but I still am. Uh, a little bit loosey-goosey sometimes, and so this time um, had four readings dealing with what it means to be uh, children of Abraham, um, and you know that that ties into Genesis, where we meet Abraham and and see his model of faith, but also uh, Romans, where Paul talks about what it means truly to be a, a child of Abraham, and then Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, giving his teaching on living in the light and the truth and what that means for us. So, as always, my preaching falls very short of the mark of Christ Jesus, but I appreciate your grace and and the grace of this church that um, lets Christ supply where I am lacking in my many, many ways. So, I hope you benefit from this time of reflection on God's Word with us. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. This is the word of the Lord. That was her first time reading in worship to be followed by many more. Isn't she a good reader? You know who taught her to read? This guy. 
it's just so much fun watching kids grow and, and to understand this. But, you know, the whole thing is, before this morning, she didn't know who Abraham was. She knew who Jesus was. She, know who's, she knows who Paul is. There are ways in which we, uh, we educate ourselves on some of the things that matter. But if we're left in charge of our own education, we're not going to get all of it. Knowing who Abraham is is very important. Why? Here, God makes him a promise. He says, And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is lost on a modern American audience because we don't read our Bibles very closely. There's a lot in the Old Testament in particular that we do not know or understand. Uh, Deuteronomy, for instance, it's the fifth book of the Bible. It's Moses' last will and testament in the promised land, or uh, in the wilderness before the, the Jews entered the promised land. He was not allowed to go in. He wrote the five books of the, the first five books of the Bible, and then they carried those into the promised land and maintained them throughout the, the ages. His last will and testament gives a description of the universe, the cosmos that we live in. And he tells a story that not many people know today. If you were like me, you were raised in a, a church that simplified things for you and said, oh, there's no other spiritual realities, there's just God. And there might be some angels. If you were raised like me, you were taught that there's no such thing as demons, and you were definitely not given the idea that there was anything such as other gods that other nations or other religions serve. Problem is, the Bible talks about there being other gods. In Deuteronomy, what we're told is that there was a heavenly rebellion. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retrace some steps that I, I, I traced a few weeks ago. Well, just last week, we were reading about Adam and Eve being tempted in the garden, right? And who tempted them? A serpent, right? What we're told in Ezekiel is that seraphim were serpentine creatures. They looked like serpents. And what has been believed for thousands of years by those who look deeply into it is that one of these seraphim who were attending upon God directly, decided they didn't want to worship God anymore. They rebelled against them and started a heavenly rebellion, and then they came and started an earthly rebellion among God's image bearers here. Who were God's image bearers on earth? Us. So we have a God who shares authority and power. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he populated the heavens with stars, sun and moon, and the angelic beings. Uh, it's called Elohim. Elohim in Hebrew, is just any spiritual beings. All beings in the spiritual realm are called Elohim. Also, the God of gods, Lord of lords, in the highest heavens, El, El Elyon, God in the highest heavens, he's also called an Elohim. So it confuses a lot of people. They think Elohim is just a name for God. No, it's a plural noun for all the gods, but then there's the God of gods. Yahweh is his name. He is our God. He sits atop the highest heavens. But there was a heavenly rebellion against him, those whom he gave his image to in the heavenly realms, but especially his image bearers here on earth. He shared authority with them, he shared authority with us, and then we used it to do our own thing. And then that's what caused the fall. And that's God gave us over to our sinful desires at that point. And if you read Deuteronomy, Moses says that he apportioned the rebellious sons of God over the rebellious nations of earth. And so all the, you know, Zeus, Hera, uh, Ishtar, uh, all these other gods, it's not that they were figments of their imagination. They were real spiritual realities in rebellion against God that subjected nations under their authority. 
and that was the ancient world. But God was not content with that. God wanted to save us, and God not wanted to. It's not as though God wants something that he can't do. God's plan all along when we left him was to woo us back, to save us from ourselves. And that's what, what began with Abraham is God starting that. What happened with Abraham? Abraham was in Mesopotamia where they served these other false gods, these other God pretenders. And God grabbed Abram out of there. He was not Abraham yet. And he said, I'm going to make of you a new nation. And I'm going to be your God. I, the God, the, the head of, of the heavens, I am going to be your God. And through you, all the nations will eventually be saved. The Hebrews were a priestly nation. That's how the Bible describes them. And remember what a priest does is he comes between, or, or she in the case of Christians, comes between a sinner and God and atones for the sin by a blood sacrifice. Now Christ is our great high priest and then we are the royal priesthood now doing that work. But before Christ, the people of Israel was God's priestly nation. And so what God began here with Abram that we just saw is he began this rescue mission to save people from the gods that had the nations enslaved. This is when he began saving us. That's why this is a big deal. It's not some, you know, if you grew up like me, you went to Sunday school and, oh, God called Abram and Abram, oh, he had to go to a new place and it was scary and, oh, that wouldn't be fun. We don't realize the larger cosmic plan that's at play here where God is saving all humanity through this one guy. But the Jews in Jesus' day knew that and they bragged. They said, we're sons of Abraham. But because they misunderstood what that meant, he said, no, you're not. You're sons of the evil one. You're sons of Satan. Because even though they were genetic of that genetic lineage, as Paul makes clear in today's Romans lineage uh, reading, is to be a child of Abraham means having the same faith that Abraham had. When you live according to faith, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, then that's when you become a child of Abraham. And that's when you become a part of God's saving work in the world. So we're going to talk about that more as we go through the scriptures today. Any questions about anything I covered so far? Because it was a big deal, and I already saw some people kind of tired, and maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night, or maybe you don't understand the fullness of what I'm telling you right now. But I'm pretty sure I haven't talked about this from the pulpit before, and that means I'm pretty sure most of you haven't heard that before. And some of you are going, oh, this is another one of Jeffrey's crazy things. It's not. I didn't make this up. Um, I, I've spent many years actually researching this, and the main guy reclaiming this in modern American uh, theological circles, his name is Michael Heiser, and he recently died, and he was a giant in the evangelical community. Um, but he's, he wrote this book called The Unseen Realm. Some of us have read it. Um, what's the other one called? Supernatural. I think I'm going to do a book club on Supernatural. Uh, most of us, if we're raised in the American Christian tradition, we have no idea the spiritual reality that all Jews believed in in the time that the Bible was written. We just read it and we, we think that we can fill in the blanks. We can't. We need to know some of the stuff going on there. I'm not saying you need to know that to be saved. All you need to be saved is saving faith in Christ Jesus. However, anybody ever read the Old Testament and go, this is really boring. I'm having a hard time with this. When you understand what they believed, all of a sudden the Old Testament is not boring anymore. So I'm going to try and, I, 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 God help me, I'm going to put together a book group, and God help you, you're going to join, and we are going to learn more about this together, okay? Deal? Okay. 
Let's, uh, let's do our psalm for today. It's on page 844 of the hymnal. It's Psalm 121. We're doing response two, except Sarah Beth is holding a uh, sleeping baby, and the baby's more important. Um, Cody, do you want to come lead? Okay, uh, so the sung response sounds like this. I'll sing, uh, you see there's three responses we're doing. Uh, there are three responses we're doing in the middle one. Um, it sounds like this. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. I'll sing that through one more time and then we'll all sing it together, okay? Page 844. There we are, okay. I'll sing it alone one more time and then you'll sing it with me. We're, right, we're doing that second response there. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. We're singing to the Lord, clearly. Okay, let's sing that together. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. All right, good. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. The Lord who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, the one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day. Nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. For a lot of people who've spent time in the Psalms, I've, I know a number of people actually, this is their favorite Psalm. It's a Psalm of comfort. And why? It's because the same God who saved Abraham and was faithful to him saves us and is faithful to us. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. What I always think of in that, uh, you know, there's a lot of Hebrew talk in the Old Testament about your, the foot. You know, you shall not dash your foot against the stone. It will not allow your, your foot to go to the left or the right. Here it says your foot will not be moved. If you've ever seen an ancient war epic, you know, the ancient mode of war was two armies just pushing against each other, right? And in war, I don't know, most people don't know this fact. Most people didn't die when they're pushing against each other. They die when one side turns and runs and retreat. That's when their backs are exposed and you just get to unload your javelins at them and, and just, it's a bloodbath. So the fear when you're at war is that your foot is going to start sliding and you're going to start going backwards. That's the beginning of the end there. So the Lord will not allow your foot to slide. He's not going to allow, for, you're going to maintain by the power of God to the point of death. The Lord will not your, uh, let your foot be moved. The Lord who keeps you will not slumber. Why, why would that give me comfort? You ever heard of falling asleep on the job? That's something humans do. And sometimes we're tempted to remake God in our image. Oh, God, maybe he, he's, he's asleep on the job. Maybe he's not watching me. Maybe something bad's going to happen to me. Nope, he don't sleep. He's watching over you. There is nothing going to happen to you that God is not going to save you from. There is nothing. Can anything take you from the love of God? No. 
In all things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because God is more powerful than anything in heaven, on earth, in heaven or on earth. That's why this is comforting. God does not slumber. Behold, the one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It repeats the idea just to say he is vigilant. His eye is always on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, right? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. You ever been working out on a hot, sunny day, and you come into the shade, and oh, man, it feels good. That's God. He's, he's protecting you from the, 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 the sun. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. Is that comforting? Now, there are a lot of people who come to the Lord, and you know what? They go back to evil. What's that about? Is God weak? Was he faithless? Did he, did he welch on his part of the deal? No, we did. If you find yourself in sin, then it's either because you chose to turn aside from Jesus or you were never with him in the first place. But God does not slumber. He is not weak. His hand has not fallen weak. He is able to do what he said he's going to do. The question is, are we going to do what he requires? Or are we going to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt? You know what that reference is? In the middle of the wilderness, whenever the Israelites left Egypt, God saved them from slavery, right? And he's leading them to the promised land, and yet it says, they said, Moses, why did you leave us out here to die in the wilderness? Oh, things were so great in Egypt when we get to, got to sit at the flesh pots and eat. Nobody knows what flesh pots were, but they sound kind of gross and delicious at the same time. But the thing is, when God liberates you from something and then you choose to go back, that's like a dog vomiting and choosing to lick it back up. Yeah, Jeff Holt made the right face right there, and he made a noise to go with it. But that's not me. That's the scriptures said that. Second Peter quotes from Proverbs when it says that, or it's like a pig going to the slop. Ugh. That's what it's like whenever we get saved from our sins and then choose to go right back to them. It's gross. And we live in a world that says, oh, but you're just, you were born that way. That's just how, how you're meant to be. There isn't any other way to be. That's exactly where Satan wants you. I was, I, I interviewed, um, with the District Committee on Ministry this last week, they, they summon local licensed pastors on an annual basis to report to them. And one of my interviewers said, uh, do you ever give yourself a break about your sin? Do you ever just, you know, calm down about it? And I said, no. I was kind of disrespectful about it. And he said, why not? And I said, because I think that glorifies Satan. And I looked him in his eyes. And we moved on. Every time I've appeared before that crew before, they want to argue with me, but this time it's just like, okay. But the thing is, a lot of times, if you want to go through life and figure out, you know, what's right and what's wrong, just go, who does this glorify? In this decision, this thing that I say, this thing that I think, this thing I want to do, does it glorify God or does, would Satan be happy with this? And if you're sitting here going, oh, I could never do anything that glorifies Satan, then you don't know yourself. And you don't know Satan, but he knows you. You need to be very wary of that part of your brain. Am I still preaching on the first reading? No, okay, all right. 
I can just go on a tirade sometimes. Okay, let's, let's read God's word a little bit more. The Romans reading is going to confuse us a bit more, and it's going to add some clarity. So let's, let's attend upon that reading. Our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, which you can find on page 1587 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circum circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had which he had been yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be their heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth these, those things which, are not, uh, which be not as though they were. This is the word of the Lord. Very good job, Whitney. That was a hard reading. And, you know, there's no way for us to cover all of it. And especially when we're doing it in the King James, a lot of the work that we're doing is just interpretive basic English stuff. And um, just as a reminder, the reason I like doing the King James for part of the year is because that's what a couple hundred years of Christians did throughout England and America. This is, this is what John Wesley learned to read on. This is what American pioneers taught their kids to read on. These words were recited out loud, verbatim, by millions of Christians for hundreds of years. And so I just, I like that church Catholic, little c, universal connection to those who came before. It, you know, we sing hymns where we have a hard time understanding all the words, but they've been sung for hundreds of years. I just think there's wisdom in repeating the specific words. It's not a magical incantation, but it is seeking unity with those who came before. I get concerned whenever we're going, oh, we got a new Bible translation, and this one's better than all the ones that came before, all I hear is, give me money. 
It was just a new thing, new money. They want you singing new music. They want new Bibles. They just want Christians spending money, thinking that's going to bring them closer to Jesus. You don't have to spend any money to get close to Jesus, friends. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I sure hope you can have that clarity. I, you know, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to do it. People know that they should be worshiping in their homes, right? But for so many people, worship requires a band or a pianist or an organ or a preacher do you need those things to worship? No. no. But so many people, when you say, well, you need to worship in your home, they're going, I don't know how to do that. And that's a problem. And it's my job to equip you to know how to worship at home. And if I haven't done that, I'm very sorry. If you have no idea how to worship at home, that's on me. Uh, and we need to spend some time on it. So seek me out during the week. And uh, I, need, I need to equip you because worship should not be a once a week thing. Worship should be a daily thing. A regular thing. We should be leading lives of worship. Amen? All right, now this portion about Abraham, we already talked about Abraham. We saw the original account in Genesis. This is the New Testament reflection on Abraham. And I already told you in Jesus' day, there were Jews who took pride in being children of Abraham. And how would they know it? They were of the circumcision. If you don't know this, Jews, after Abraham received the law from God on Mount Sinai through Moses. We call it the Mosaic Law. It's written down in the Old Testament. Moses wrote it, down, wrote it down. It was passed along through the ages. And one of the things explicit in the law was if you were a Jewish male in covenant with God, then you've got to get circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, that's where they took the, the tip of the male genitals and cut it off. Made a permanent mark on men that could not be hidden. And so that was the mark. It was a constant reminder and men, you know, there, there are daily functions that remind, you have to interact with that part of the body to, to go to the bathroom and stuff. And you're reminded anytime you deal with it, I am in covenant with God. And so the Jews took special joy in saying, I'm a child of Abraham. The mark is on my body and uh, I, I am right with God. I'm, I'm part of his chosen nation. And what Jesus did was he reminded them um, the purpose of the chosen nation was to save the rest of the nations, which you're not doing. You're sitting there patting yourself on the back. You're not even saving the nations like Jesus said, or like God said. But secondly, what happens throughout the New Testament is the circumcision of your anatomy actually doesn't matter. It's the circumcision of the heart that matters. And what that means is you take hearts that used to be hard towards God and you make them raw to God. Have you ever um, felt your heart hardened to something that it really shouldn't be? You know, like your kid is crying and you really should care, but you're like, ah, I don't care about your feelings or even worse, like your wife. I remember our first year of marriage, Sarah Beth cried almost every day. And it got to the point where I was just like, mm, whatever. And that's not good. I should have cared about my wife's feelings, shouldn't I? You know, we get desensitized to things. And so what God does is he takes people who are desensitized to their sin and he makes them raw. You know, you remember on uh, the day of Pentecost, whenever Peter is preaching about how the people crucified Jesus and it says they were pricked to the heart? That's a holy thing. That's what grace does. It's, it's a convicting grace. Whenever you haven't learned to mourn your sins, it causes a deep disgust and revulsion and a self-hatred in you. And you feel about your sin the way that God feels about it. And you feel his pain and you're ashamed. It's a holy shame. That's how we know that we're children of Abraham. It's when our hearts have been circumcised. And what he talks about here, well, first off, you know, there's a temptation that the Jews had to look at salvation like it's a checklist. You know, God gave us this law. You have a law against this, a law against this. I'm supposed to do this. 
I checked all the boxes. I get to be with God forever. Is that how faith works? And we all know that's silly. The only thing required for salvation is saving faith in Christ Jesus, which we can't even have on our own. He gives it to us. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation. Amen? Amen. But the thing is, he says, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So um, David has a job. David puts in the time. He's a good employee. At the end of uh, is it every two weeks, they, they render unto him his salary, not because they just think he's a swell guy, but because he did a job. It's an exchange, right? You did the work. Here's your pay. Now, what God does is he says, David, here's a trillion dollars. You didn't do any work. And David, do you imagine that you can make a trillion dollars if you spent all your life working really hard? No. Anybody here think you can make a trillion dollars if you spent your life working really, really hard? Insert joke about inflation here. No, you can't. You can't. But God gives you a spiritual equivalent worth even more than a trillion dollars. In fact, a price cannot be put on it. And he does that without you having done anything. And there is nothing you can do to earn that, pay that back, make up for it. There's nothing you can do. And so does that mean that we don't have to do anything good? We, we can just live debauched lives of sin? No, that's obviously the wrong answer. The, the reality is that good works proceed out of salvation. And if you don't want to do good, it's because you're not saved. It's because you haven't received the glorious riches that God has given. You're still living in a world that teaches you that you've got to get yours. You've got to protect what's yours. You've got to earn every bit and keep it from those suckers who don't deserve it. You didn't deserve salvation. None of us did. We have all gotten an amazing gift that we didn't deserve. And so our lives are not supposed to be spent holding on, begrudging, resenting. I, a criminal, a chief of sinners, as Paul called himself, have been extended salvation. It is the most unfair deal in all of the universe. And really, I'm holding something against my neighbor who got something he didn't deserve, who wants something he didn't deserve. I want salvation. I don't deserve it. Does that make me a bad guy? I am a bad guy, but I want one good thing. I want that salvation, and God gives it to me. He gave it to me before I even knew to ask for it. It's the most scandalously, wonderfully amazing gift that has ever been given. I can't earn it. So I go through the Bible, but not with a checklist. Oh, got to do that, got to do that. I go through the Bible going, this is my life. This is my way of life. This is my culture. I'm going to joyfully do these things because they please my God who died for me, who was nailed to this cross and had an agonizing, embarrassing death for me. He took my sins upon him and died for me, even though I didn't deserve it. And you know, I've heard some version of this sermon thousands of times, and I need to hear it every day. Otherwise, I start feeling like my life is mine. I deserve some things. You know, I work hard. I deserve some good things. Anybody have that part of your brain? That's a part that Satan puts in there. He starts making you think that you're better than other people. You know, oh, so-and-so down the street, oh, they're really a wreck. They're really a mess. I'm, I've got my life together. Not because God has been good to me, but because I'm just, I'm more sensible than them. I'm just a more moral, upright person than them. And that's exactly the faith that Jesus attacked when he was here on earth. And people came to him saying, I'm a child of Abraham. Look at me. I'm feeling pretty good. He says, nope, you're a child of Satan. 
What makes a child of Abraham if not obedience to the law? He says here, well, you have to be faithful to the promise. What made Abraham faithful? It says Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Remember that promise that God made to Abram that we read about in Genesis? You remember that? He believed and God blessed him for it. Now, that's all that's for us to do is to believe the promises that he's made. And I asked the kids, how do we know what those promises are? And they said, read the Bible. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Read your Bible, understand it, believe it. That's your life now. And I already said, if you find it boring, it's because you don't understand it. Does that mean you can just go on throughout your life not understanding it and shrugging it off? No, because then you don't know the promises. There's, a, there's but one way forward. It is narrow, it is hard, but on the other side of it is eternal glory and salvation. Who's going with me? That's what we're doing here. That's the whole point of all this. Just remember, you remember when John the Baptist was arrested by Herod? And he was preaching in the jail, and Herod would go and he would listen to him because he was interested, right? But if you read your Bible, Herod was still a bad guy. He chopped off John's head. He was an enemy of Christ. The thing is, it's not enough to sit in a pew and go, oh, this is very interesting. I find this quite interesting. It's not enough to say, oh, I sure do love Jesus, but I'm still enslaved to my sin. That's not the deal. The deal is, I love Jesus. He has died for my sins. I am no longer my own. My life is hid in Christ. I belong to him. And in case, you know, there are not enough, there are not, you know, pastors don't preach about things that offend people anymore. One of the things is, is suicide. And the way that our culture looks at suicide is, hey, it's your own life. You get to decide what you do with it, right? The premise there is wrong. It's not your life. It doesn't belong to you. Your stuff does not belong to you. Your family doesn't belong to you. Your money doesn't belong to you. Your body, your life does not belong to you. If it doesn't belong to you, who does it belong to? It's his. And how does God feel about murder? Yeah, bad. Every single human being, including you, is made in his image. And as the Bible says, when you do violence to another human being, you're doing violence to someone made in God's image. And he's entrusted this body, this life to you. And I understand that life is very hard for some people. Do you know who understands that better than me? God. Jesus knows the height of suffering. And if Jesus can suffer for me, then I can suffer for him. That's the call. He doesn't ask us to do something easy. He doesn't ask us to lead the, you know, why do we sin? It feels good. He doesn't ask us to sin. He asks us to be righteous. It's painful. It implies a lot of suffering. A lot of hardship. And he asks that of us, and he gets to ask that of us because the reward is so much greater than the price. People sin because they don't understand. And it's, there, there are thousands of ways to sin, and they're grievous. But they don't understand the cost. They don't understand the reward. All they understand of what's right in front of them, and it's their pain. And it's not a rational decision. It's, I got to get out. I got to end this. I got to get out of here. And what the blessing of the Bible is, is it gives us that cosmic perspective to see things as God sees them so that we're not slaves to our feelings or our circumstances. We can see things the way that God sees them, and that's what gets us through the hard times. Do you know that times of trial are coming? 
trial and tribulation and hardship. Do you know that they're coming for you? There are days in your future that are going to test you. And if you have not been fully planted in Christ Jesus, you're not going to make it. So we've intentionally set aside this time to take God's word into us and to be remade in the image of Christ Jesus. And to take this holy meal, we're going to, set, we're going to have the meal that Christ ordained for us and to, to take his presence into us because on our own we cannot do it. Amen? Amen. Be seated. We'll do our uh, last reading kind of briefly and I'll try and weave it in briefly and then uh, we'll have a, a break for those who need to go home and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper for anyone who stays. I've I've, uh, during COVID, we just made it optional for uh, social distancing, germ sharing stuff. But then I've since become convicted that it's just good to have only the people who want it stay rather than, oh, this is what we're doing now. Let's, I'm going to do it. Um, did y'all let me skip? Come let us use the grace divine. Okay. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's attend once more upon God's word. This is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, found on page 1487 in your pew Bibles. Listen one more time to the word of God. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does that make, just time out, does that make it sound like you cannot go to heaven unless you are a born again Christian? Yeah, that's what he's saying. It sounds that way because that is what he's saying. Now, when I talk about born again Christian, I'm not talking about a political category. I know that they, they made that a political no, it's just a person who has died to self and been born again by the Spirit in Christ. Okay, let's go on. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said it again, didn't he? It's almost like it's really important for us to know. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Are there humans that are born of the flesh? All humans are born in the flesh. Are there humans that are reborn in the spirit? Yes, they are Christians, people of Christ. Okay, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. So it is that... Uh, with everyone that is born of the Spirit. I've always interpreted that to mean that, that it's not a checklist. You can't make someone say the, the sinner's prayer and go to church every week and then they're just saved. You know, the Holy Spirit saves who he wants and then for some reason other people aren't saved, but it's not something you and I can control. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. There's something worth camping out on that about. Almost everybody's heard the name of Jesus 
at least in our culture, right? But very few people have read the Bible. You can't even watch sports without somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign, right? Christians have done their best to spread it around, and yet people don't know what's in here. And it's not because they haven't been told. It's not because they haven't been warned. It's not because they haven't been invited. It's because they don't want to know. And Jesus is saying, hey, Nicodemus, you got the scriptures. You've been told. We're telling you to your face, and yet you still don't know. We like to imagine that Christianity is just about information exchange. If I just tell people, then they will respond accordingly. It's about movement of the Spirit. They receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. This is a problem for people who think that there are some people who've died and they go to heaven and they come back and talk about it. Jesus is saying, nuh-uh, I'm the only one who'd done that. Don't trust in people. There's one guy who wrote a literal account of uh, him dying and going to heaven and coming back, and his last name, I kid you not, is Malarkey. <laughs> Don't put your trust in those. Put your trust in the Bible. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that good news? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Is that good news? He that believeth on him is not condemned. Is that good news? But, oh, there's always a but. He that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Is it easier to see evil deeds in the light or in the dark? In the light, yeah. That's what I like about living in an age where we have body cam footage, you know. We can actually see what happened. We don't have to do the he said, she said thing. We can just see on camera. And we need to understand that's exactly what judgment day is going to be like. We might have everybody else fooled, but God knows. And on the last day, that'll be revealed for all to see. And there are those of us who just come to terms with that and go, okay, I'm just going to live my life in the light. I'm not going to have anything to hide. And then there are other people who hide in the shadows, and they're always going to hate Jesus. Even if they're in church every week, they're going to resent what, what we hear here. Last verses, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This is the word of the Lord. So the thing I would end with is, if you are a child of Abraham, if you are a child of God's saving history in the world, then you are a person of faith. You have faith that God's promises will come true. And the thing that leads you there was in the end here. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Do you have a desire for truth? That is what is going to bring you to Christ Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through him. But if we don't desire truth, if we want people to lie to us to make us feel better, 
if we want to be hidden so that people cannot see what we're doing or saying, if we want to hide out in the shadows. You know, there's a reason why outlaws party at night and not in the middle of the day, right? It's when everybody's asleep. That's when nobody's looking. There's a reason why a lot of bad things happen at night when nobody's looking in the privacy of people's homes. We need to be people who live every moment understanding that there is no such thing as an undiscoverable action. Everything will be revealed on the last day. There's just me seeking the truth and living in the light and wanting for God to be seen in me or me running from that and being a child of darkness. And that's a death sentence. I want to end on good news. So the way I'd wrap this up in good news is if you're a child of faith who desires truth, then Christ is powerful, more than powerful enough to save you. He is saving us right now. His salvation touches us right now. This community is experiencing that right now. And just remember, he's powerful. We need to remain faithful and penitent as well. Amen?